Welcome to the Grace Long Beach podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is John 6, 35 to 59. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But I told you that you have seen me and still don't believe. Everyone whom the Father gives to me will come to me, and I won't send them away. I won't send away anyone who comes to me. I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the one who sent me, that I won't lose anything he has given me but I will raise it up at the last day. This is my Father's will, that all who see the Son and believe in him will have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. The Jewish opposition grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They asked, isn't this Jesus, Joseph's son, whose mother and father we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus responded, Don't grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless they are drawn to me by the Father who sent me, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has listened to the Father and has learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father, I assure you. Whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that whoever eats from it will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews debated among themselves, asking, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I assure you, Unless you eat the flesh of the human one and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. My flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me lives because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It isn't like the bread your ancestors ate and then they died. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest. So we just heard a lot about bread. Uh, At first it felt appetizing, that passage being read. I love bread. Uh, 
Does anybody else like bread here? A few people. Uh, every morning for breakfast, I make two slices of seeded toast. I put butter on it, raspberry jam. I'll have the occasional hard-boiled egg. I just really enjoy eating bread. Um, and I was thinking about, like, if you have a truly good loaf of bread, the texture of it, the flavor of it, there's almost no way that you can imagine it being any better than it is. And, and then I realized, um, you know, bread is so good that the toaster wasn't invented until 1893. That meant bread was around for thousands of years before anyone was like, oh, I know how I can make this really good. Um, and now we all have toasters. And I know you can toast bread without a toaster, but truth be told, I still haven't figured out how to make a slice of toast in my cast iron skillet without setting off every smoke alarm in my house. And uh, as far as my morning routine goes, um, I would rather be doing almost anything than frantically running around trying to hit all the smoke alarms off. Um, so, yeah, bread is pretty great, right? Anyways, uh, we're in this sermon series <laughs> called Life with God. And each week we uh, change our focus, we alternate between focusing on our lives with God by looking at the Psalms, the prayers of Israel, um, how they bring ourselves before God, and then uh, looking at passages in the Gospel of John where Jesus makes statements about who he is in relationship to us. They're sometimes called the I am statements. Uh, This morning we're looking at the Gospel of John. And I want to suggest to you that the whole experience of salvation, the whole span of our lives with God, is all there, all present in bread. There's a line in one of my favorite novels. Wherever you turn your eyes, the world can shine like transfiguration. You don't have to bring a thing to it except a little willingness to see. Only, who could have the courage to see it? This morning, I want to help us see that the whole gospel is worked into bread, like yeast into dough. This morning, I want to focus on three kinds of bread, actually. The bread that God gives to us. The bread of the earth, the bread of the wilderness, and the bread of life. First, the bread of the earth. God gives us bread to sustain our bodies. The bread of the earth means that the physical, material world is good. It means that matter matters. It means that creation is significant. When we come to know the God who loves us, we also need to know that God loves the stuff we're made of. God loves our bodies, male and female bodies young and old bodies, bodies with different complexions and forms. God loves us, cares for our bodies, gives us the bread of earth to sustain us. And we all know this, right? This is why we pray and bless God before every meal. Every time we eat, we recognize that the food we're about to take in that sustains our lives ultimately comes from God. We also recognize that God works through the farmers, distributors, marketers, merchants, and cooks, not to mention creation itself, to sustain our bodies with food. And so we give thanks to God every time we have a meal. 
If you haven't already, go ahead and open up your Bible to John chapter 6. John 6. In the gospel today, uh, we see that Jesus has been followed by a large crowd to Galilee because they saw him doing signs. This is at the beginning of John 6. And there, Jesus does another sign for them that leads to the long discourse we heard read this morning. Jesus... Uh, takes five barley loaves and two fish that a boy offers his disciples. He gives thanks to God, and then he distributes that small, paltry meal to 5,000 people. They all eat their fill, and they come back with leftovers. By the way, uh, do you know why John, um, or why Jesus multiplies bread, and fish, loaves and fish. Have you ever thought about what the significance of this? It's ancient hospitality. You need a gluten-free option and a vegan option. You can't eat the bread. You can have the fish. You can't eat the fish. Have the bread, okay? Um, I know I have gluten-free friends here. John 6 is also for you. Um, Okay. So why does Jesus do this sign? Why multiply loaves and fish? What is the real purpose of it? I think it's actually quite simple. Jesus sees our hunger, and he feeds us. God wants to give life to the world. He does so all the time. He gives sun and rain and land and crops. Jesus is doing the same thing that the Father does. He's just speeding things up a little bit, multiplying bread and loaves and fish. A few months ago, I was talking to a pastor of a church in downtown Long Beach, and uh, every Sunday evening they have this service that's primarily attended by men and women who are experiencing homelessness. And after having the service for a number of years, the pastors realized that people were showing up to worship hungry. And so they decided that before they worshiped together, they would share a meal together. And this pastor was telling me about How surprised he was when he found out a social worker in Long Beach listed his church as a church that provides meal for the homeless population. Uh, He had never intended to start a social program. He had no social agenda. He just wanted to worship with brothers and sisters in the Lord. He saw that they were hungry and thought, nobody should come to worship hungry just because they don't have food. And God has given us the resources to provide meals for these people, so we'll share meals together. And I was so moved by him telling me that because uh, sometimes people can get lost in social programs or social agendas. And this was the exact opposite of that. Um, The church provided a social service by mistake just because they wanted to care for the bodies of their fellow Christians. And so, again, I just think God's care for us is care for our bodies. God sees our hunger and provides. This is why Jesus fed the crowd, I think. He wanted to give them something to eat to sustain their lives. Jesus didn't have another agenda. He wasn't working an angle. The people tried to make him king, and he withdrew. He went away. The kingship of Jesus isn't determined by human agendas, by human social systems. The kingship of Jesus is determined by the will that he shares with God to give us life, to give life to creation. 
I think the bread that God gives us can stand in for all the ways that God cares for us, that makes our existence possible. Um, yeah. Uh, God gives us ordinary bread to sustain our bodies. The bread of the earth satiates our hunger. And this is why we give thanks to God every time we eat. The bread of the earth is not the only bread God gives us. God also gives us the bread of the wilderness, manna. Bread that represents the words of God that give us life. The bread of the wilderness tells us that our deepest human hunger cannot be met by bread alone. Our deepest longings will never be satisfied by earthly things. Not food, not sex, not money, not power, not recognition. If you spend your life laboring for one of those things, believing it will satisfy your deepest hunger, then it will be difficult for you not to get it. But finally getting that thing might just destroy you. Because only then will you realize that those things um, are things that you've made into something they are not. Not ultimately satisfying, that is. You need the bread of the wilderness. And this brings us to the story of Israel. God gave the Israelites bread while they wandered in the wilderness after God delivered them from Egypt. God called that bread manna. Every morning they had to gather up enough manna just for that day. It was meant to teach them to depend on God. In the words of Moses in Deuteronomy 8.3, God humbled you by letting you hunger, then by feeding you with manna, in order to make you understand that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. God knows our needs. Without the bread of the earth, we would die in the wilderness, but without the bread of the wilderness... Without the words that tell us the truth about God and the truth about humanity, we might just die without knowing it. Uh, what's that Mark Twain quote? Some men die at 27, but aren't buried until they're 72. This brings us back to the Gospel of John. The crowd that Jesus fed went over to the other side of the sea to find him. And when they do find him, they have this long conversation with him about the meaning of the sign that Jesus did with the bread. And at the beginning of the conversation, you already get the sense that things are about to go sideways. Uh, actually, at the end of this episode, almost all of Jesus' disciples end up leaving him. When the crowd finds Jesus in verse 26, he tells them that he sees their true motive. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. The crowd wants more from Jesus, but Jesus knows they don't understand what they really want. They don't know what they're really asking for. So he tells them in verse 27, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Now, it's tempting to read what's happening here as, uh, you know, the crowd just being too focused on physical things, on earthly bread, and 
not focused enough on spiritual things like the Word of God. But that's not quite it. Because the crowd asks Jesus to do another sign, fully believing that he can do it and wanting to come to believe in him more. And then the crowd quotes scripture, Psalm 78. They say, it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. They're reminding Jesus of the manna that God gave the Israelites in the wilderness. So it's not quite a matter of them being too physically minded and not spiritual enough. The problem is that their spirituality is deficient. Their spirituality is deficient. Yes, they're reading the Bible, but reading the Bible isn't bringing them to the God revealed in Jesus Christ. As Jesus said to a crowd earlier in the gospel, in chapter 5, verses 39 to 40, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness to me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You see, the Bible does not give us life. The Bible does not give us life. Only God does that. The Bible does not save us. Only God does that. Yes, scripture is the bread of the wilderness that God gives us to nourish us. Scripture is the word of God. I've devoted my entire adult life to trying to understand scripture better. But scripture, the Bible, is not God. Jesus warns us that it's possible to search the scriptures, to study the scripture and know it, and still never come to the God who gives life. So we learn that the bread of the wilderness, given by God as it is, does not actually satisfy our deepest hungers. Scripture doesn't undo our frustrated hopes and unfulfilled longings. But it does bring us into contact with the God who does. God gives us the bread of the wilderness, the word of God, to tell us the truth about who we are and the truth about who God is. In other words... God gives us scripture as his primary witness. The bread of the wilderness bears witness to the bread of life. Are you with me so far? So this brings up a big question for me. I wonder if it's a question for you. Is Christian faith basically material or spiritual? Does it focus on the body or on the soul? Are we to be consumed with feeding hungry bodies bread or with giving hungry souls the word of God? John tells us that the word became flesh and that we beheld his glory. And you might ask, which is it? Is Christianity a story about the word becoming flesh or is it a story about beholding the glory? Do we take Jesus at face value when he says in chapter 6, verse 53, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you? Or when he says moments later in verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh is of no help at all. Is Christian discipleship about becoming more concerned with life on earth, focused on food for the hungry, justice for the marginalized, hospitality for the strangers, sustainability for the earth? Or is Christian faith about becoming more heavenly-minded, 
seeking hope for the hopeless, joy for the despairing, belonging for the lost, forgiveness for those who wrong, healing for the hurting. To sum it all up, are we bread of earth people or bread of wilderness people? Does anybody else wonder about this? All right. Thanks, John. It's a false dichotomy, of course. There's no reason it can't be both. But it's a false dichotomy that shaped Christianity in the modern West. It's really weird. (laughs) It's really weird. Sometimes it seems as though either you're a Christian who cares for the poor but denies the resurrection, or you're a Christian who proclaims the risen Christ and doesn't care about the world's needs at all. That's tragic in my mind. Evangelicals have tended to believe that Christians should be more spiritually focused and heavenly minded. And I think that's why over the last 15 years or so at Grace, we've worked toward a more holistic faith. We've spoken so much about the goodness of creation, the goodness of daily work, the reality of bodily resurrection. We've even made some efforts towards seeking peace and renewal in our city, uh, precisely because of our hope in cross and resurrection. And so now you're expecting me to say something like, well, it's both and. We should be spiritual and material. Um, All of life is all for Jesus. And of course, all of that is true. And it's better than thinking that Christian faith is either spiritual or material. I mean, you can bounce around your whole life between these two. I need to be more earthly focused. Now I need to be more spiritual. Ah, what do I do? But in John 6, Jesus offers a different perspective, a different response Uh, He says it's neither spirituality nor materiality. Jesus points out the problem with both. He points out the problem with bread of earth and the bread of the wilderness. The problem is this. Neither of them bring life that lasts. Jesus says, Your fathers, your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness and they died. You can have every earthly good for as long as you live. You can always eat until you're satisfied. You can live a healthy lifestyle. You can have all the money in the world to get the best medical care until the day you die. But then you're dead. Or you can be a spiritually masterful person, devoted to the word of God, generous and joyful, unafraid of death. You could even be one of the Israelites who first received the word of God from the blazing mount at Sinai. But they ate that bread and died. Jesus tells us neither things of earth nor things of heaven give life that lasts. They don't give imperishable life. They don't give indestructible life. Ultimately, they don't give the life of God. So where do we find the life of God? This brings us to the third kind of bread God gives, the bread of life. The bread of life is Jesus Christ. He says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. God knew that the bread of earth cannot sustain these mortal bodies forever. God knows that scripture can't save us from death. So God gives us this third bread. It's neither an earthly thing nor a heavenly thing. 
It's an earthly and heavenly person. Jesus Christ, in the flesh and full of glory, the Son of God and the Son of Man, the bread of life come down from heaven. The bread of life is the promise that God's life will fill us now, always, and forever. Now remember, this is a promise Jesus is giving to those who are already following him, his disciples. Sometimes you hear a sermon like this and you think, all right, I'm good, I've already got that, I'm a Christian. This promise is for you. I hope you can hear it afresh. Again, Jesus says in verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever, and the bread I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So how do we take in this bread that God gives, the bread of life? How do we receive the life of God, really? Well, in this whole long dialogue... Jesus gives us three simple steps to life with God. It sounds improbable, but really, I mean, there's like three steps there to life with God. So here they are. The first step to life with God is actually God's step toward us. It's not our step, it's God's step. Jesus says that God the Father wants to give us life, wants to give us life that lasts. We'll lose none of what he gives to Jesus. God is drawing us near to Jesus and through Jesus near to himself. God gives the bread of life. God gives the bread of life. The first step is that God has moved toward us. The second step is ours. It's a response to God's grace, life, and promise. Jesus uses a lot of language for this step. We see Jesus, believe in Jesus, come to Jesus, eat the flesh of Jesus, drink the blood of Jesus, hear and learn from the Father. In short, Jesus gives us the language of faith. Faith in Jesus is the alternative to materiality and spirituality. It's the alternative to bouncing between earth and heaven all the time. We aren't to become more spiritual people or more earthly-minded people. We're to become people faithful to Jesus. In short, the second step to life with God is the whole life of faith. From baptism to our last communion, we receive the life of Jesus fully into ourselves until we ourselves live Jesus' life. There's a 20th century Christian author, C.S. Lewis. He was once asked whether the Christian life is easier or harder than his life prior to faith. Here's what he said. The Christian way is different, harder and easier. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I've not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. 
I don't want to cut off a branch here, a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. Hand over the whole natural self. All the desires which you think innocent, as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own shall become yours. Jesus gives himself to us as the bread of life. And when we receive Jesus into ourselves, he says he will stay with us. And we will stay with him. And God promises to give us all the faith we need to stay with Jesus. Verse 29, Jesus says, this is the work of God. That is the work that God does. That you believe in him who he sent. So even our faith is God's work, even though it's our work as well. So the second step to life with God is life with God. Simple enough, right? The third step is God's again. I mean, it happens after we complete the second step and therefore after we've died, so there's not really much for us to contribute at that point. The third step is this. Jesus promises to raise us up on the last day. To wake us up to eternal life. That's come to mean everything to me. When I returned home after my first year of college, I had wanted to tell a friend of mine about the life and joy I had found in Jesus. I had hoped that he might become a Christian. So we got together and he listened. He was open-hearted and honest. He's just a genuinely wonderful person. And I don't remember exactly what I said. I don't remember exactly what he said. But I remember that he wasn't opposed to Jesus. He wasn't opposed to faith in God. He just didn't see why he needed it. He had no sense of longing for the divine, no hunger he thought would be filled by God. He was a good enough person already. He didn't see how Christianity would help make him a better person. And I knew him well enough to know that what he said was more or less true. And anyways, in general, it's not great to try to convince somebody about how sinful, wrong, and bad they are just to tell them that Jesus loves them in spite of all that. (laughs) In any ways, we don't even really know what sin is until after we meet Jesus. So I was puzzled. I didn't know what to say. It's more clear to me, I think, what I would say now. I think I would say this. I was in the room when my father died and when my mother died. And in being so close to death, I learned that even if people are with you, each one of us faces death alone. I learned that there's no dignity in death, but there is a brutality to it, and sometimes just true bitterness. I learned death's finality. I finally learned that I too will face death, and so will all the people I love, sooner or later. I learned that what I want most is to be alive, fully alive. And somehow, I don't know how, I became confident that I will be made alive again because of what God has made true in Jesus Christ. To be honest, 
I don't know if Christianity, being a Christian, has made me more satisfied with life. I don't even know if it's made me a better person. How would I possibly know that? But I know this. God drew me near to Christ. Faith somehow was born in me. And I believe God's promise to raise me on the last day. It's as though I've already tasted the bread of life. And that means everything to me. And God gives this bread of life for everyone. Even for you. Jesus Christ says, I am the bread of life. What do you say? Thanks be to God. If, um, if you felt that God has spoken to you this morning or you come in with a heavy heart or a joyful heart and you want to pray with somebody, to have somebody pray with you, I want to invite you to do that during worship this morning. There are going to be wonderful people who would be joyful to pray with you on the sides of the sanctuary. And in particular, um, if, if any one of those steps of life with God really resonated with your heart, um, you want to know that God is drawing you near to him. You, you need God to give you faith on the journey toward Christ. Or you need confidence that God will raise you on the last day. I want to invite you to bring those things even uh, to people to pray with you. And so uh, please stand as we continue in our worship.